Welcome to the Building Laborers Podcast. This podcast exists to mobilize and equip the saints to labor for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We trust and pray that the following content will encourage you to love Jesus and to labor for His glory. Okay, so let me pray for us and we will hop in for tonight. Father, we, um, we just thank you. We thank you for what you've done at SEMO. God, we thank you that really our, our, our vision as a ministry, God, is that we would see a movement of God that changes the world. And God, what you did in my heart, how you saved me and equipped me through faithful Christians who got uncomfortable and shared the gospel with me as a freshman and a sophomore. Now you sent me to Springfield to start what we're doing at UIS, God, and we believe that what you're doing at our two schools really will impact the world that people all around the world will hear about the gospel because of laborers that will be raised up at our two campuses. And so God, we just pray tonight just thankful. And God, I pray tonight that we would see what it means that you are Lord. God, that we would really live our lives under the authority and rule of you, King Jesus. God, that we would lay aside our pride, that we would lay aside our preconceived notions about what life is about, God, and that we would go to your word and that we would live a life that pleases and honors you. So God, we love you and pray this in your name, amen. All right, there's a very common phrase. I know all of you know it, okay? And so I'm gonna start it and there's two blanks and you're gonna fill in the blanks, okay? Jesus is my blank and blank. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, okay? Everybody knows that. Okay, if you watch any kind of sports game, at the end of the championship, someone is bound to get on the microphone and say, hey, all praise to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or uh, give it up for the big man upstairs, you know, or something like that. It's a very popular phrase in our culture. And most people have zero issue with Jesus being Savior. Almost, I've almost come across no one that is just really offended that Jesus died for them so that way they could go to heaven. Right? No, most people do not have an issue with the fact that Jesus is Savior, but what, a fact, what about the fact that Jesus is Lord? What about the fact that he's not just Savior, but he's also Lord? See, I believe the problem that most people have with Jesus and the reason that most people decide not to follow Jesus is not because he's Savior, but because he's Lord and that he's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lord. And what that means is, is that he has authority and we don't like that. Our pride, our selfishness wants to have control of our life. But the reality is, is that Jesus is savior, but he's also Lord, okay? And so the goal tonight is to answer this question. What does it really mean that Jesus is Lord and how does the Lordship of Christ practically affect my life? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three realities concerning the Lordship of Christ. And like I said earlier, we're going to look at several, several passages that reveal the urgency of submitting to the Lordship of Christ in your life. Okay. So first, the first reality is this. Jesus is Lord of all. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Jesus is Lord of all. We have to start with this reality. I know that most of us in this room would acknowledge this, okay? But what we have to understand about this point is that regardless of our opinion about Jesus, uh, regardless of what the people's opinions about Jesus is back on our campuses or on Thursday nights at Disney Springs and at City Walk, the reality is that despite of our opinion does not change the fact that this is who Jesus is. 
that he is, like we even learned at Sunday school, he is Lord and he's Lord of all. He is Lord of everything. And so let me read a few passages for us that show this truth. Hebrews one, go ahead, next slide. Three through four says this. He, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Or Revelation 19. Next slide. It says this. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Next slide, Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all, thing, uh, all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In last verse, Philippians 2, as Beto read earlier, therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, the reality is, is that Jesus is Lord. What you and I and anybody else thinks about Jesus does not matter. Jesus is Lord. He upholds the universe. He is far superior to the angels. He has ultimate authority over all things because he created all things. Regardless of what we think or choose to believe about Jesus, it doesn't change the reality of who he really is. Okay. Imagine with me for a second, I decide after this rally, when you guys go to D group that I really, when I was at Best Buy or when I was at Lululemon the other day, okay, I'm on the Lulu kick. I'll admit it. Right. I was at Lululemon and I decide, you know what, all this stuff looks really good. And I have, I've come to my own conclusion that the police don't really have authority. I just think they're faking. Okay. And so after this, I go to Lululemon, I steal as much clothes as I possibly can. I load them up in my car. I drive back to the hotel. Somehow I get away with all of this. Okay. I get back to the hotel. I'm in my room. And then all of a sudden I hear, I open the door, the police are there and they say, sir, you're under arrest. You stole all this stuff from Lululemon. It was about a million dollars. Cause that's how much their stuff cost. Okay. It's about a million dollars. You're under arrest. And I say, well, good news, sir. I don't believe you actually have authority. So have a good day. And I close the door. What do you think is going to happen to me? They're just going to walk away, right? No, of course not. They're busting in the door and I am going to jail. And as much as I want to believe while I'm sitting in a jail cell that the police didn't really have authority does not change the fact that they actually did. And I really am in prison. See, Jesus is the Lord, regardless if we choose to believe it or not. He is God. He is the King of Kings. He has ultimate authority. And like we studied or read in Philippians 2, it's still up there. Every knee will bow, either, either now or when it's too late. Everyone will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord because that is who he is. And so the question tonight is not is Jesus Lord? 
The answer is yes. That is who he is. He's the creator God who has authority over everything, which includes you and me. That's not the question. But the question we have to answer tonight is this. How are we going to respond to the reality that Jesus is Lord? Which leads me to the second reality tonight, which is this. If Jesus is not my Lord, then Jesus is not my Savior. If Jesus is not my Lord, then Jesus is not my Savior. So like I said, our main text is Matthew 7, 21 through 27, which is the end of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. So he, he gives this lengthy sermon, and this is the last thing that he says, okay? So it's kind of like his, his, um, his going away pitch, like, hey, if you can remember anything from what I just said, remember this. And so Jesus starts in verse 21. We'll just read 21 through 23 to start, so read along with me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay. I trust that a lot of you have read this passage before, being involved in our ministry. But what Jesus is saying here is this. Not everyone who says, Jesus, you're my Lord, is actually going to heaven. Okay. Not everyone who says, Jesus, you're my Lord, is actually going to heaven. In, in today's language, we don't really walk around saying Jesus is our Lord. We walk around and we call ourselves a Christian. So what Jesus is saying here is not everyone who says that they are a Christian is actually going to go to heaven. And that's terrifying. Think how many people we talk to that call themselves a Christian. And what Jesus is trying to get out here is just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean that you actually are. Okay, just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you actually are. And these people, they even had a spiritual resume. Look again in verse 22. It says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? They're saying, Jesus, look at all this stuff I did for you. I, I, I'm not just saying with my mouth I'm a Christian. Uh, look at all the things that I've done in my life. But Jesus says to them in verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Not only are there many people who call themselves Christians that won't go to heaven, there are many people who are convinced that they are Christians that will not go to heaven. They are convinced that when they die, they will get to see Jesus in all of glory, but in reality, he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And that is terrifying. That is absolutely a terrifying reality. But Jesus is warning us. He's warning us because the most unloving thing that Jesus could do is not say anything at all. And just let people think that just because they say they're a Christian, just because they go to church, just because they attend a camo project, that they're definitely going to get into heaven. No, Jesus defines for us, as we're going to see in a little bit, what it really means to get into heaven. And to be honest, it's pretty simple. We have to know Jesus personally to make it into heaven. And more importantly, Jesus has to know us to make it into heaven. Imagine with me for a second, who's, um, who's a, a Steph Curry fan in the house? Raise your hand. 
Who knows who Steph Curry is? Raise your hand. Okay, good. All right. So imagine with me, I'm the biggest Steph Curry fan in the world. Okay, I'm not, but just imagine that I am. Okay, and I know everything about Steph Curry. I know all of his stats, okay? I know all of his kids' names. I know where they go to school. I know what he likes to eat throughout the week, right? Like, I know everything about this dude. I'm his biggest fan. And I find out one day where he lives. And so I go to his house, and I jump the security gate that I imagine is there, okay? Uh, and I walk up to the front door, and I knock on the door, and Steph Curry answers. And he's like, hey, how can I help you? And I'm like, Steph, it's me, Aaron, your biggest fan. And I just start rattling off all the things that I know about Steph Curry. And I tell him where his kids go to school. And I tell him what he eats during the week. And I just start rattling all this information off. And I get done and I say, Steph, can I come into your house? What do you think he's going to say to me? Yeah, he's not even going to say anything to me. He's just going to slam the door. The cops are already on the way. And I'm going to jail. It does not matter how much I know about Steph Curry that determines if I get into his house or not. What matters is, does he know me? Do we actually have a relationship? Because if not, I don't get to go into Steph's house. And the same thing is true about Jesus. Just because we say we know Jesus, just because we have a lot of Bible verses memorized, just because we have a spiritual resume, does not mean that we actually know Jesus. And so the natural question arises, how do you know? How do you know if Jesus really is your Lord and if you really do have a relationship with Jesus, okay? One main evidence to know is by answering the following question. You can put it up on the screen. Have you surrendered control of your life to Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered control of your life to Jesus Christ? The word Lord found in these verses in the original Greek is the word kairos, and it's literally translated master. It's translated master. Here's a couple of definitions that I found. He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding, or the master, one who has control of the person. A genuine Christian. A Christian that really knows Jesus has surrendered complete control of their life to the authority and mastery of Jesus. A genuine Christian has decided life is no longer about me. I am no longer the captain of my own ship. Jesus is my master. He is the one that I serve. He is the one that has final authority and he is everything to me. That is what it means for Jesus to truly be our Lord. And so a genuine Christian's life is all about loving, obeying, and glorifying God in every area of our life. That is the main evidence that you can look at in your life to know if you really have a relationship with Jesus. Have you surrendered control of your life to him as master? Revelation 3.16 says this, you can, next slide. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What is being said here is pretty simple. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord, master, 
If you have not surrendered your life, placed yourself beneath the authority and the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ, then he's not your Lord at all. If Jesus is not your Lord, if he's not Lord at all, then he, or if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. Or if Jesus is not your king, then you do not get to be in his kingdom. If he is not your king, then you do not get to be in his kingdom. And so the second reality is that if Jesus is not my Lord, then Jesus is not my savior. There is no separating the two. What it means to be a Christian is that Jesus is your Lord, that he is your master, and that you have come to him in repentance and faith. And so third reality, if I am a genuine Christian, then my aim, yeah, it's on the back, then my aim in life is to follow and obey Jesus in every area of my life. If I am a genuine Christian, then my aim in life is to follow and obey Jesus in every area of my life. So pick up with me, Matthew 7, verse 24, and read with me. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it okay so immediately after Jesus tells the crowds of people that are listening to him preach that not everyone who calls themselves a Christian actually is going to heaven he immediately moves into this story about a wise man and a foolish man I think that Jesus anticipates the question that almost everybody in the crowd was certainly asking after he said what he said in verse 21 through 23. And the question had to have been something like, if it's not enough just to say with our mouth that you're our Lord, and if it's not enough to have a spiritual resume, then how do we know if we're actually on the path to heaven? And so I think Jesus anticipates this question and he answers it in verses 24 through 27. But I wanna ask you guys the same question before we look at his answer. How do you know if you're a genuine Christian? We already covered it. The first evidence was that you've surrendered control of your life to Christ. But how do you know if you've actually done that? How do you really know if you have actually surrendered control of your life to Christ? And the second main evidence that we true, Jesus truly is our Lord is this. You can put it up there. That a main evidence that Jesus is Lord of your life is that you are obedient to his word and you do what it says. A main evidence that you really have surrendered control of your life to Jesus Christ as Lord is that you are obedient to his word and you do what it says. If we look at our text, what's the only difference between the wise and the foolish man? Can anybody spot it? What's the only difference? between the wise and the foolish man? No. That's right. It says, look back in the text. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them 
will be like a wise man. Look at verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. So you guys are right in the sense that, yeah, they built on different foundations. But why did they build on different foundations? Because one of them obeyed the word and one of them disobeyed the word. The only difference between these two men. So they both heard the word. They both built a house. They both had storms come into their life. But one obeyed God's word and one chose to build their house wherever they wanted to. And so the question is this, is there evidence in your life that you follow and obey Jesus's word or do you just do what you want to do? Is there evidence in your life that you follow and obey Jesus's word or do you just do what you wanna do? When you have tough decisions in life, do you choose to just do whatever you want or do you go to God's word to see what you should do? When it comes to sin in your life, are you content with it? Are you content to continue living in your sin or are you trying to obey God's word and turn away from that sin? First John 3, 9, next slide, says this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. If I really am a Christian, I cannot be content with sin in my life. And if I am, we need to examine if Jesus really is our Lord. I'm not saying, and I'm gonna get this in a second, that you need to be perfect, but what is the goal of your life? Is the goal of your life to turn away from sin and to obey Jesus, or are you just content to live in the sin that you are living in? I wanna make something abundantly clear before we move on. You are not a Christian because you obey God's word, okay? Obeying God's word does not make you a Christian. Put up Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 for me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You become a Christian by grace through faith in Christ alone. Works do not save you. However, the evidence that you have been born again, that you are a child of God, that you really are going to, when you get into heaven, uh, be accepted by Christ, is that your aim in life has shifted from wanting to live for yourself and for sin, and now you want to live for Christ and to obey his word. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. This is what it means for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Your allegiance has changed. A genuine Christian's allegiance has changed from sin and myself to Jesus. I am no longer on the team of sin. I am on team Jesus and I want to serve, love, and obey him instead of myself now. That is what it means to be a genuine Christian. In Luke chapter 6, we get the same account of this story. But in verse 46, we get one little powerful phrase that I think summarizes the point really well. And it says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? The point is this, if Jesus really is your Lord, you will obey him. If Jesus really is your Lord, you will obey him. 
If he is your master, that means whatever he says goes. That means he sets the rules. That means he sets the agenda. He, tell, he says what I can and cannot do. He defines what sin is, not me. Our job as a Christian is to obey. What it means to be a genuine follower of Christ is I obey God because I love God. Because I love him and I know him and I'm thankful for what he did for me on the cross. And so my allegiance has changed. So if your life does not show evidence of allegiance and obedience to Jesus Christ as Lord, I want to strongly encourage you to examine yourself to see if you're not one of the people described in verse 21 through 23. Put up the next verse. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Let me get everybody's eyes for a second. The reality is there's people in this room that probably don't know Christ. I've been doing this now for nine years as a student. This is my sixth year on staff. And unfortunately, I have seen people after people who have been on a summer project just like this who are no longer walking with God. Please examine yourself. Do you really know Jesus? Have you really surrendered your life to him? Have you really changed your allegiance from sin to Jesus? And if not, call out to him. He will save you from your sin. There is no shame in admitting that you're not a Christian. That's the greatest news on planet earth because then you can become a Christian and you can go and have a relationship with Jesus and spend all of eternity with him. So please, don't just shake it off and say, well, I've been a Christian for a while now. I'm sure I'm good to go. Do you really know Jesus? Is he really your master? My, I mean, it keeps me up at night. I'll just be honest sometimes because I want to see all of you in heaven. Examine yourself to know if you really are in Christ. And what, what I'm saying about obeying Jesus and having your allegiance to Jesus, okay, it's not saying you need to be perfect, okay? It's not saying you perfectly need to obey Jesus and that's how you know if you're a Christian. That's not what I'm saying at all. We all sin. I still sin. I'm the biggest sinner I know in this room, okay? But what I am saying is what is your life characterized by? Is the goal of your life, is the ambition of your life, is the direction of your life moving towards turning away from sin and obeying Jesus? Or does your life look more like hearing God's word and then choosing to do whatever you want? That's what we're talking about here. Not perfection, but where is your life headed? Obeying God's word or choosing to do whatever you want, right? That's what we're talking about. And so, now I do trust, and I'm thankful for this, that a lot of us, maybe even the majority of us in this room are Christians and we want to obey God and we want him to have authority over our life and we want to please him and that's amazing. And so now the question is how do we do that? How do we do that and what are specific areas of our lives that we need to think about, specifically people your age in college, areas that Jesus has authority over. And so what I wanna do now is I wanna look at six things that Jesus has authority over in your life as a Christian. Six things that Jesus has authority over in your life as a Christian, okay? So the first one is this. If I'm a Christian, then Jesus has authority over my time. 
Jesus has authority over my time. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? Everybody do something with me, okay? Everybody take a big breath in and out. God gave us that breath. And if he wanted to, he could take it like that. Our lives are gifts from God. He has gifted us life and breath and everything. And what that means is this life that he has given us is not about us. It's about him. It's about his glory. It's about his name being known throughout all of the nations. And so our time as Christians should, be, uh, should reflect that. It should reflect the reality that Jesus is the Lord and that he gives us this gift of life. It's not us, it's not our life that we get to do whatever we want with. It's his life that he has gifted to us and we get to use it for his glory and his honor. And by God's grace, the life that he's given us is pretty good. And we get to enjoy the things that he's given us and the gifts that he's given us along the way, but they're meant to praise him with our life. And so do we spend, have we submitted our time to the Lordship of Jesus? Because if he really is your king, then we need to consider how we spend our week. We need to consider how we spend our days. We need to consider how we spend our mornings and our evenings. Every day we have is a gift from God and it belongs to him. So let me ask you guys, and I'm asking myself a couple challenging questions. How much time do you spend on social media versus spending time in your Bible and prayer? Let me ask you another question. When's the last time you went a week without looking at social media? And when's the last time you went a week without reading your Bible? And which one was sooner? I would maybe even challenge you as a loving brother in Christ. Make, get off social media for a week. Get off social media for a week and just dedicate a week to just, Jesus, this week is yours. I, every time I'm tempted to get on Facebook, every time I'm tempted to get on Snapchat, I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna talk to someone about Jesus because this life belongs to you. I'm not saying you need to delete social media and get rid of it forever. But if you're not willing to give up social media for a week, it's probably an idol, okay? And so it'd be a good thing to give it up for a week and to give that to the Lord. Another question, is your first reaction in the morning to grab your phone or to grab your Bible or to get on your knees and pray? What is your first reaction in the morning? Or another one, which of the following are you quicker to say yes to? Going to the movies with your friends or going to a prayer meeting with your friends? Going to a movie with your friends or going to a prayer meeting with your friends? Man, I'm convicted by all of these. Don't sit here and think that I'm just talking at you, okay? I grabbed my phone. The first, this first thing I did this morning, I grabbed it and I checked my notifications on Facebook and then I immediately was like, shoot, I've been working on this talk. I can't do that. I put it away, right? Like I have growing to do. But Jesus, if he really is in control of our life, that means he's in control of our time and that our time ultimately belongs to him. Second, if I'm a Christian, then Jesus has authority over my money. Jesus has authority over my money. Matthew 6, 24 says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money and possessions are mentioned over 800 times throughout the Bible. 
okay? It's clearly an issue that we have in our human heart is money and the love of money, okay? But all of our money ultimately belongs to God. He has given us every dollar you might have in your bank account, which might not be much if you were like me when I was on my first summer project, okay? Uh, I, you guys are always spending money. I, I was literally eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch, breakfast, and dinner when I was on project, okay? So I had no money, but even the money I had, that belongs to God. And we will be responsible. We will have to give an account to God of how we spent our money uh, here on earth. And so a question I wanna ask is this, do you even think about before you swipe your card that the fact that Jesus has authority over your money? Do you even think about it? Let me give you a couple of examples. <laughs> Maybe you've found times in your life where you're like, man, like someone recommended this awesome book that just changed their life. But I just don't have a lot of money right now. But you also went to Starbucks five times this week. Okay, you could have bought three copies of the book and gave two to your friend, right? We have more money than we think. We just choose to spend it on what we want to spend it on. Let me give you another example. Okay, men, my first summer project, they gave a purity talk and they talked about covenant eyes. And my first thought, can't afford it. Can't afford covenant eyes, too much money. Later that night, I went out to eat and spent $17 at a meal. Covenant eyes is only $14. I had the money. I just didn't want to sacrifice it. I didn't want to sacrifice it to the Lord. We have money. And when you have opportunities to use that money to glorify God, we need to do it. It doesn't need to be much. It doesn't need to be a lot. But are we even considering it? Are we even considering how we spend our money in, in light of the fact that Jesus has authority over our money? Third, if I'm a Christian, then Jesus has authority over my career. Acts 20, 24 says this. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now this is Paul talking. This is a specific thing for him that he was called to full-time occupational ministry. But I think there's a principle we can get here. He said, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Is that your guys' attitude when it comes to thinking about what you're going to do for the rest of your life? Not everyone, actually most people should not go into full-time occupational ministry. Most people should not do that. That is, it's a very specific calling for specific people. But every Christian should make decisions about what career they pursue in light of who Christ is, how God has gifted them, and what ultimately matters in life. Let me say that again. Every Christian should make decisions about their career based on who Christ is, how God has gifted them, and what ultimately matters in life. There are so many people in the world, this is tragic, especially men, okay, who say that they're Christians, but then they work 60 to 80 hours a week and they never spend time with their families. Or they skip church functions to make a few more dollars. Uh, or they skip church functions so that way they can put their kids in more sports. Or so many Christians move to new cities for a lucrative job offer and they have no idea if there's a good church there. They have no idea if they're going to be able to grow in this city that they go to, but they don't care. They just want the money and so they make decisions based off of money. And so I have to ask, have you honestly, and I would guess the answer is no for most of us, and that's okay, you're in college, but have you ever honestly wrestled with the question, what does God want me to do with my life? 
what does God want me to do with my life? What if God wants you to be a missionary? What, what, what if God wants you to change your major? Would you do it? Or are you holding so tightly onto what you think would be best for your life that you're not willing to let Jesus have control over what job and career you might have in the future? Again, not everyone is called to be in full-time ministry, but I bet some of you in this room are. I bet some people are called to be missionaries overseas. Don't hold on so tightly to your careers. I think when we become Christians, generally in this ministry, we do a pretty good job of kind of being like, okay, a Christian, I need to think, rethink everything about my life. But one of the major things we don't do that with sometimes is our career. It's like, well, I've always wanted to be a lawyer. So I'm, that's definitely what God wants me to be. Well, it's like, well, hold on. If I became a Christian six months ago, maybe that's not what God wants me to do with my life. And the question is, have you even asked? Have you even asked, what does God want me to do with my life? Uh, fourth, if I'm a Christian, then Jesus has authority over my relationship, my relationships. Last week, we talked about community and dating, so I'm really not going to say much here. Okay, I'm really not going to say much here. We covered it all, okay? But if Jesus is your king, and this is what Joey said, I worded it a little bit differently, but if Jesus is your king, then he decides who you date, when you date, and how you date, not you, Okay? If he really is your Lord, then he decides who you date, how you date, and when you date. You don't decide that. God decides that, okay? And, and like we said this week, um, Christian dating should look radically different than how the world dates. And so the question I want to ask is, are you truly submitting to Jesus' authority on when, and more importantly, how you should date? Are you truly submitting to Jesus' authority on when, and more importantly, how you should be dating? Or is your natural reaction to buck against wise counsel instead of humbly seeking to date in a way that brings the most glory to God? Okay, that's all I'll say. Fifth, if I'm a Christian, then Jesus has authority over my decisions. Over my decisions. We already read this, Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Okay, let me ask you this question. Next slide. Is your decision-making feeling-oriented or truth-oriented? Is your decision-making feeling-oriented or truth-oriented? Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In summary, what that verse is saying, don't trust your feelings. Your feelings, your heart will lead you astray because it is stained with sin. So just because you feel strongly about something does not mean that's what God wants you to do. I was convinced the girl that I talked about last night on my first summer project, that was absolutely who God wanted me to be with. And there was, I mean, I was convinced to the core of my being. I even prayed about it once or twice and the feeling didn't go away. I was convinced, guess what? I was wrong, okay? Our feelings lead us astray. And so as Christians, we should not be making decisions based on our feelings. We should be making decisions based on the truth. Next slide, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says this. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Essentially what that's saying is don't trust your feelings because they'll deceive you. That's not how you should make decisions. But what should you do? Verse 23, 
We should be renewed in the spirit of your minds and we should put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Jesus has control over every decision you make, no matter how big or how small. And the way to put that into practice is when I'm making a decision, do I even consider what God's word says about this? Have I even gone to anyone in my life that's helping me grow and ask them if this is a good decision or not? Or am I just doing what I think is right in the moment or what I feel strongly about? We as Christians have to make decisions uh, not feeling oriented, but truth oriented. James 4:17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So the real test is this. What do we choose to do when we want to do something, but God's word says the opposite? What do we choose to do when, what do we choose to do when we want to do something, but God's word says the opposite? If Jesus really is your Lord, he makes decisions in your life. Now you make the decisions, but you make them in light of what he said, what he's revealed in his word, not based upon what you feel, okay? And sixth and finally, if I am a Christian, then Jesus has authority over my life. Jesus has authority over my life. You guys read this this morning. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. At the end of the day, what separates genuine Christians from unbelievers? At the end of the day, what separates genuine Christians from unbelievers? And I believe it's this. A Christian lives to love and serve King Jesus. Everyone else lives to love and serve themselves. The main difference between a genuine Christian and an unbeliever is that a Christian lives to love and serve King Jesus and everyone else lives to love and serve themselves. If Jesus really is your Lord, if he really is your master, life is no longer about you. It's about him. It's about him and his glory being magnified in your life. And you might be asking the question, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to submit to the Lordship of Christ? Why would I want him to make the decisions for me? Why do I want him to have the input on how I spend my time and my money and my career and how I date? Why would I want to give up my own life because of what he has done for you. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why would I submit my life to the Lordship of Jesus? Because he laid down his life for me. Because I was dead in my sin, destined for an eternity in hell, but Jesus came, took the punishment that I deserve for my sin, died on that cross, was buried, rose again three days later, and he's given me eternal life as a free gift. That's why I want to submit my life to him. That's why I want to follow him, because of what he has done for me, and I can trust him. There's a quote in this book called The Gospel Primer. Uh, I would highly recommend every single person to buy this book and read it immediately, okay? Gospel Primer by Vincent Milton, and he says this. You can go to the next slide. Here's the quote. When I begin my train of thought with the gospel, 
I realized that if God loved me enough to sacrifice his son's life for me, then he must be guided by that same love when he speaks his commandments to me. I'm going to read that again. When I began my train of thought with the gospel, I realized that if God loved me enough to sacrifice his son's life for me, then he must be guided by that same love when he speaks his commandments to me. God loves you and he always wants what's best for you. And not, not only does he always want what's best for you, he knows what's best for you. And the same love that motivated God to send his son to die for you is the same love in which he has given us commandments. God has not given us commandments to ruin our lives, to steal joy out of our lives, but quite the opposite. He's given us commandments so that way we can enjoy life to the fullest as we obey him, as we obey him and trust him with our lives. He is a loving father who rewards obedience and he always leads us. He always leads us to the path of blessing and righteousness. You can trust Jesus. You can trust him with your time, with your money, with your career, with your relationships, your decisions, and you can trust him with your entire life. Jesus is Lord. R.C. Sproul says the Christian life is to live all of your life in the presence of God. As Christians, this is my final thought, we cannot compartmentalize Jesus. We cannot say, Jesus, I'll follow you in the first three things, but not the last three. Jesus, you can have five of the six things, but not the sixth one. We cannot compartmentalize Jesus. He's either our master or he's not. Jesus is worthy of our entire lives and we have to as Christians surrender control of every area of our life. And so I have some application questions up here. Next slide. That I want you guys to talk about in your D groups tonight. Uh, the D group leaders already have these, and so you can take pictures if you want for your own uh, just to have them. Uh, but the D group leaders have them any, uh, already. But the questions are this Why is it not enough for Jesus just to be Savior? Why does he also need to be Lord? How should the reality that Jesus is Lord change the way that you think about your day to day life? And which of the six categories are you struggling to obey Jesus' word in? What would it look like practically? to start giving Jesus control over that area of your life. Jesus is worthy of our lives. He is a trustworthy father. And I pray that all of us would follow him and, and obey him all the days of our life and that we would all together get to worship him in glory. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Building Laborers podcast. If this content has blessed you in any way, please like, follow, and leave a review on whatever platform you listen on.